we also had a uh, uh, an orchestra where some of the musicians st- stood together, and one musician was so good that he had the instruments playing, and he wrote the notes. So later on, we had a band who played over the weekend. And uh, that was, of course, helping us. You know, we also did plays and stuff. Were there any cultural activities happening in Auschwitz? Yes. I told you we had a piano put into, a, not just a piano, a grand piano was brought into block one. Once that was built, that new block, the downstairs room was assigned for theater. When he wanted to build a stage curtain in that new block one, which was one, the big dining room was going to be also with a stage, so performances could be done for women there, cultural. He said, for heaven's sake, isn't there anybody here who can help me sew on these curtain rings for the stage? I do it for you, he says. And I came forward and I helped him with the curtain stage. And that was wonderful because I had a man sitting across me for a change. And my roommate is in charge of work assignments. And if you happen to know music, what instruments do you play? I said, I learned piano, but not good enough for an orchestra. I can tell you that right now. And he said, well, then maybe you know the notes. I said, yes. He said, well, then I can use you because we have to... Uh, write, write it from the uh, original music piece what the director gets to the instruments and so from each instrument has only uh, a short line on the whole paper so I had to take it apart and write for each instrument from that what I had to do that I had to even make the lines we didn't have paper that was pre-printed for notes, nothing so I spent the whole day there for a while, until we were taken away from Auschwitz. But then she saw me work there. I had a big table where I could work and lay out all the paper, and it was very peaceful and relaxing. And uh, Otto wanted to, to talk more to me. That is when I met that SS man at one time. That was the last job I did while I was in Auschwitz. And and when I, uh, the other job, that when I was in Block 10, we went out to pick the leaves. And from these leaves, they would make tea for the whole camp, for the whole Auschwitz. How did you entertain yourselves? Uh... Well, there were, at, that, at the beginning of those days, there was a library where you, uh, people could get books to read. There were newspapers which we could get, and that, and also among ourselves, sometimes we had a, what do you call it, a violin quartet we used to come and play in barracks during the evening. That was this. and later on, when they said they're gonna build a movie in the camp, and we prayed. <laughs> We prisoners said, said, "Only you must be crazy. They gotta make a movie for us in the, in, in the camp." And really, it happened. They made a movie in the well, camp. Yeah, and we 
we went in barracks after barracks. We, we could go to see a movie sometimes in the evening. They brought movies in to see the, in the evening. And what kind of movies uh, would they show? Well, German movies. But once I came to the main camp, they were allowed twice a month to write home. Once a postcard and once a letter. They gave you the materials? Yeah, they gave us the letter, the materials, and the, we could How buy did you get the stamps? stamps. We could buy stamps. We could you had buy. money? Yeah, we got money. We still got money. With the money we got through the Jewish community from Vienna who sent us everybody some money. And, and in the camp you could have uh, currency? Yeah, have we any? could have money because there was in camp also what they call a cantina. And not many times, but once in a while they sold a few cigarettes or they sold something, whatever they had. So if you had money you could buy in the cantina there. Food, there wasn't really any food, really. They usually sold, and sometimes they sold, they sold some weak beer, they sold also in the, in in the, the cantina. cantina. Yeah. But uh, not really anything uh, else, not much, mostly cigarettes. And when you went to the movies, did you have to pay? Yes, we had to pay. After the, the money stopped, the regular money stopped, we got paid in coupons then. Paid for your work? Well, I don't know if it was for whatever we got paid for in coupons, for the, which were redeemable in, the, in that cantina if they had something. So that was their, their way of distributing money. Then to everybody, this everybody got this money. Then, of course, what we did is for the weekends we got together. We got a group of us together, and we made a soccer team, which was a little later, where we played soccer. Well, it's amazing that there would be a soccer team, that there would be enough energy left to do something like that. Well, I don't think we were quite as energetic as we were with the other uh, regular team, but uh, we did something to, uh, you know, it kept our mind off these, uh, of the problems we had. Well, you, you mentioned to me the other day that Monowitz was like a college library. Well, what, that was especially the Germans start losing the war, 1943-1944. So in 1944, we had soccer games in Rosen. Soccer teams, we had uh, orga were organized very well. Uh, soccer teams, each, na each nationality organized a soccer team. And we organized our equipment and everything and play soccer on the assembly line, on the assembly uh, place. So, in Rosen. In Rosen. So, you know, that much freer was... And, uh, but it was 1944. Russians already pushed away, uh, Americans already invaded from the other side, so they, they have to give more freedom. But there was much more freedom, and, uh, and uh, food didn't improve very much because uh, uh, 
simple reason they didn't have it very much themselves. So, yeah. Did the civilians try to help you at all? Did they trade goods for things? It's, it's, it's as I say, that we, we have almost everything what we wanted for the socket teams from the civilians, from outside civilians. But that was strictly under uh, uh, the cover. The SS didn't know that. They knew it, but they didn't do much about it because they knew the war was almost over. So they didn't. Uh, they even played soccer with us. That uh, <laughs> just to make the, the, story, the story funny, that the whole incident funny. That one time the Polish team play against German teams, and one of the uh, enlisted top enlisted SS men decided he wants to play for the Polish team. So uh, we say, okay, you can play for us. And then the commandant, the, the commandant, uh, the SS commandant, he was uh, like, like a, a captain. So he decided to want to play for, for the German team. So he went in the field. I think they were a little bit tipsy. How, how did you feel about that? And <laughs> the funny part of it, we said, just let them play. They play all by themselves. <laughs> We <laughs> just run it out of, <laughs> but that was uh, one of this incident which stuck stuck so funny in it, but that's happened. So, it, but it was nineteen forty four. So it's uh, it almost uh, things came to a close. So, are what you is what you're saying then that um, the closer the end of the war came, um, pressure was let up rather than uh, becoming more cruel or. In our camp, pressure, you, you did feel the pressure laid up. The big problem is that the Auschwitz soccer field was right next to the so-called genocidal gas chambers and would be in full view of the so-called final solution. Freddie Hirsch called me to the children's barracks. He was heading then, and... Uh, he asked me if I could paint something on the wall for the children, and I said, well, if you can get the materials, he said, I'll get the materials. I said, okay. And then a very handsome young blonde man from the men's camp came over one day, and Freddie Hirsch called me to come and meet him, and he asked me what I need, so I said, well, if I can get any wall paints, so any tempera paints, I would like those if you can get me some, and he said, yes, anything you want. And so before I knew it, Freddie had the stuff ready for me, and I started painting. At first, not knowing what, I looked at that huge drab, it was kind of olive-colored, like all the barracks were, wall, and um, I thought, well, the thing to do is to make it look like we are in a Swiss chalet on the deck, and there is a balustrade with flowers on, flower pots on it, and we are looking out at the beautiful meadows and maybe see some cows and sheep and stuff, and I started painting. And then afterwards, far in the distance, I was putting some sheep and some cows, and then I noticed that all the kids were standing around me, behind me. So I turned around and I asked them if they would, do they have any special wish what to put in that meadow? And they said, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And that was a very surprising answer. So I made a painting of Dopey standing on another dwarf's head with a cloak around him, so he looked like a tall guy. 
so he would be as tall as Snow White. And they were dancing together, and the shoes, those soft shoes and everything. And the kids loved it, and I made some other dwarfs around, one who was playing the accordion. I think that was Grumpy, the mean one. And uh, the professor with the glasses. I made almost all the dwarfs standing around. Some of them were clapping, and uh, that's what the kids liked. I now understand that there was another painter who continued something painting on the walls after I have left. I don't know about that. When you were in the process of doing that, yeah. um, what did it do not only for, for you, but for the, um, for the children on, on an emotional level? Well, it did several things, not just emotional, but the children then wrote a play which was a satire of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So I figured out a way of making a crown out of paper, and the kids were painting it gold and putting, like, jewels on it. And then I took some paper strips, and I painted them with a black paint. And I don't know about the costumes, what, what they made costumes out of, but the play was very successful because the little girl who was uh, playing Snow White had an incredible voice, a gorgeous soprano, just like the one that you hear in the movie. How were they allowed to put on a play in Auschwitz? I don't know, but it was done kind of quite hush-hush, all of it, except that when it was put on, suddenly some SS-men appeared, and they watched. And then when Arno Böhm put on that uh, play, he... He was, wanted something like a vaudeville, vaudeville play, which I was in too. That was when I couldn't stand the breath of the guy who was playing with me. What was the, so, uh, the process for the casting? I mean, how were people selected to be in this play or the